0: So we are in our final week of our series called Rhythms, where we're exploring the rhythms of Jesus and the importance of implementing these rhythms into our lives so that we would live fruitful lives and become more like Jesus. And you might be sitting there going, I don't want to be more like Jesus. He was hated, he was rejected, and he was eventually murdered for sharing the truth. Why would I want a life like that? But I want you to know that you will face just as many issues as Jesus did in his life. You'll face disappointment, grief, pain, suffering. And the question is, how will you deal with these situations? Will you be overcome by them? Or will you be strengthened by them and see the opportunities in them to show grace, truth, and love to the world, even in the midst of your adversity? That's what Jesus did. So how did Jesus do that? How did he live that lifestyle in the midst of all the suffering he went through? Well, were these intentional rhythms in his life that kept him connected to the the source of truth, grace, and love. And so before I get started, I'd like to pray. Would you please join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you use broken vessels like me to preach truth, grace, and love. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me, but you would also speak through me, Holy Spirit. The Lord, they would not look to me, but they would look to you, Jesus, the only one who brings life, And life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there is this figure in the world today, and his name is Jordan Peterson. And he is a Canadian clinical psychologist, and he's written this book that sold about 5 million copies. And the title of this book is 12 Rules of Life Order Out of Chaos. And as a clinical psychologist, he recognized we all actually live by rules. We all live by rhythms, and to live a life with meaning, we need to live a life with rules and rhythms that line up with our values. And the world is just loving this book. They're absolutely frothing it, because what we've lost is our way. We've lost our direction. We're just so distracted in our time and age that all these things, even like truth, is being deconstructed these days. People say there is no such thing as truth. And so all these things are just being destroyed, now, the rules and rhythms that we personally live by, they're influenced by our culture, our upbringing, our education, our experiences, things we like and dislike. And there are plenty of rules in my house growing up. My mum's here. She could tell you a few of them. You never left the table unless you asked to be excused. That was just a rule. It lined up with our values. It was respectful. When we went to people's houses, I didn't talk, say, talk to people by their first name. It was like Mr. and Mrs. Smith showing them respect. Like we all have these rules that we grew up with, right? Some of them you keep and some of them you pass on to your kids. And we've passed on quite a few from my parents onto our kids. So what rules and rhythms in life do you have that line up with your belief in Jesus? What is a rule of life? Well, a rule of life is just a schedule, it's a set of practices, relational rhythms that help us create space out of our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus do what Jesus did to live this life to the full that Jesus promised his followers. And you might've been thinking, I knew it. I knew rules would come into this series. I knew I had to do something. But if we wanna live the life Jesus lived, we should really live in the way that he lived as well. So your rule of life, it might strike you as like this strict or binding constraint, but the Latin word we translate rule was originally the word for trellis in a vineyard. So just like a vine needs a trellis to keep it off the ground, to keep it free from predators, um, to bear the, most, um, the maximum amount of fruit, to keep it free from disease, we need a rule as kind of support structure to organize our life around. So they, we would become like Jesus, and Jesus says, abide in the vine, in John 15. So, in, so as Christians, what is our rule of life? What are we organizing our life around so we can bear good fruit? Well, John 15, 1-8, Jesus gives his disciples the rule of life for Christians. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And in verse 8, he finishes this discourse. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now we find this text right at the end of Jesus' life. This is at the Last Supper. He's had the Last Supper. He sat down, it's this beautiful discourse where he's talking to his disciples, saying, this is how I want you to walk this life out now that I'm going. I'm about to go to the cross and this is how you should live. And he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. He says, see, I'm your master. I'm the king of heaven and earth, but I've bent down and washed your feet. This is how you should live. And he says to his disciples, do you know how you do this? Do you know how you live a life like that? You need to be connected to me. You need to be fed from me. And I love it in the end. He says, he who abides in me bears much fruit. It's a guarantee. He says, without me, you can do nothing. And by that, God is glorified. So the question is, what are you receiving nourishment from? Is it roots like uh, social media, Netflix, games, conflict, hate, world exception, uh, like uh, acceptance or accomplishment or accumulation Bad company that draws you into you know, gossip and sin. Are you being fed from that or are you being fed by Jesus, the word of God? By spiritual disciplines that put us in a place of prayer and grace and love and forgiveness and acceptance and are we sitting in and being fed by the truth of the gospel? Because let me tell you, there is a massive difference in mindset, ap- application and outcome between these two sources. We all know it, right? Right? The more we indulge in the worldly lusts, the more we reflect the worldly values. We we have attitudes where we're more judgmental, we get more greedy, we're less patient, and we argue with people and we hate and we have unforgiveness and we get drawn into this. We've all felt this. When we're not connected to Jesus, we just get pulled down this hole that reflects the world. But when we commit to intentional rhythms of spending time with God, we reflect his values and attitudes of grace, truth, love, forgiveness. It's interesting. The more we, we, we get into this, it's said that, that, that inner peace is achieved by our schedule when it aligns with our values. So inner peace will only come when we align ourselves with Jesus. A rule of life is simply a tool to that end. It's, it's rather than a rigid legalistic to-do list, it's a life-giving structure that holds us up. It's a trellis for us for freedom and joy and love and growth. So when you sit and reflect on your life and honestly ask yourself, which kingdom do I re- reflect most? What do you see? Do you see that you reflect more of the kingdom of this world and its values? Or do you reflect more of the kingdom of God and his values? This is why so many Christians don't feel that inner peace that Jesus promised to his disciples. Jesus says, come follow me to live a life like me. Not just believe, but he bids us to follow him, follow his rhythms, follow his lifestyle, and follow his rule of life. You see, in the Western church, we're really good at teaching Jesus and teaching the theology of Jesus, but we're not really good at the theology of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus. We think knowing's enough, but Jesus says, No, 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 you need to know and follow me. What we need to do is implement these rhythms into our lifestyle that line up with what we believe to be true. And then then and only then will the theology of Jesus start to make a difference in your life. Like for me, I could go and spend five years studying of how to fly planes. I could know all the theory you could ever know, get 100% in every single exam on flying a plane, and stay on the ground and never go anywhere. All that theory, all that knowledge is no good unless I actually hop in a plane and fly it, right? Unless I actually do something. And when I do take action and I step into that plane, where does that plane take me? Anywhere I want. I can explore the whole world if I wish, but I need to put that knowledge into action. See, knowledge is useless unless it's applied in action. So are we following Jesus like he bids us to follow him? Or or do we just know what he says? So if your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle, what are you going to commit to to live a life like Jesus? What are we actively doing to live that lifestyle? Paul talks to Timothy, and he really encourages him to step into the lifestyle of Jesus in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. He says to Timothy, Have nothing to do with godless myths or wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding the promise for both the present life and the life to come. If that was Paul talking to us today, what would he say? Would he say, have nothing to do with godless social media or things that are going to draw you away into sin? Would he say, keep away from distractions and the lust of the world? And I love it how he uses this idea of physical training. He says, actually train yourself to be godly. There's an action there. He says, you know, like people who go to the gym and they work out and and that's good for their body. It's clearly not me. I've got the dad body, but people do do that and it's good for them. But he says, training for godliness is good for every part of life, not just your body. And it's good for the life to come as well. So, a simple way to think through this is just to simply break it down and write down the rhythms you will actually commit to. So, what rhythms will you commit to on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? It's simple like daily, will you commit to reading God's word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in silence and solitude, like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, or weekly? Are we willing to commit to Sunday worship where we gather together as the saints and we praise God? Weekly to a small group where we get together and we dig into God's word. Weekly Sabbath rest, are we gonna commit to spending time reflecting and enjoying God's creation? What about monthly? Monthly could we commit to maybe fasting one day a month or maybe serving at church or in our community one day a month, actually outworking our faith? And yearly, maybe taking a spiritual retreat where we really disconnect from the world and we spend time with God, where we yearly sit down and go, okay, how can I be generous this year with all my resources, my time, my money, my energy? And yearly sit down and go, okay, now I need to look at the whole year again and what are my rhythms? Because if we simply break it down into daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly, then you'll see how much your life is actually devoted to following Jesus. And let me tell you, it'll be clearly evident when you fill out that list why you're feeling the way you do. And we feel so oppressed by life. If we filled out how much time daily we actually looked at Facebook or watched Netflix or the news or how much time we spent online shopping or going to the shops, on and on and on, we would be shocked. Did you know in Australia, on average, we are on social media for two and a half hours a day. And we watch TV, things like Netflix and Foxtel for another two and a half hours a day. That's five hours a day we spend on social media and TV. But we don't even spend 15 minutes reading God's word or praying. And then we wonder why we don't have peace and there's this epidemic of like fear and anxiety and depression. Seriously, guys. Satan is, and his distractions, they're winning hands down. We need to be more captivated by God and his word than what the world can offer. Are we really going to let Satan win that easy? You know, social media and Netflix and all these other distractions, they're not bad in of themselves. But if that's the only source of life that you're getting, the outcome is not going to be great. So what do we do? Well, We follow Jesus, not just his teaching, but his lifestyle too. And we need rules of life to keep us healthy. The problem is we think we're the source of the fruit. So if we just work harder and harder, then we'll produce fruit. Like I just got to work harder and could do more stuff to try and be better. But Jesus says, no, I'm the source of the fruit. In verse four, he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It doesn't matter how much harder we try to produce fruit, unless we're connected to the source that can give us the power to do that, the Holy Spirit, then we're just going to be fighting a losing battle. And these rhythms we've been exploring help us connect to the vine, help us connect to Jesus so he can produce fruit. Think about a branch, okay? Branch on a tree. A branch doesn't go, all right, I'm going to try really hard and produce fruit. "Mm, Oh, there's a bit of fruit, let me... uh," Right? It doesn't work. Because think about it, if a branch is cut off from a tree or a vine, what happens to it? It dies and withers. It produces no fruit this is what a tree does. This is what a branch does. It just sits there. And it's fed by the vine, and then all of a sudden, pop, oh, that's nice. What's that? It's a bit of fruit. And it pop, oh, here's another one. That looks really nice. Where'd that come from? That's all it does. Why? Because it's sucking up the nourishment. The life comes from the vine. It doesn't come from the branch. And the strange thing is, we have no spiritual disciplines, and therefore, no connection to Jesus, and we wonder why we feel so spiritually dry and empty. And we wither away into anxiety, fear, depression, worry, comparing our lives to others who seem to have it all, and we just go down this spiral. Why? Because we the branch. We've cut ourselves off from the vine and wonder why we feel this way. Then we start to question God in all our circumstances, like it's his fault. And we connect ourselves to all these worldly lusts and things that distract us and entice us away into sin and wonder why we're living like the world and we don't look like Jesus. Like, I'm a bit of a people watcher. I know that sounds weird and creepy, um, but it's not that creepy. It's just when I go to uh, cafes or I'm out to dinner, I love watching people. I love watching how people, like, interact with each other and stuff. And I notice more and more people at dinner or at cafes, they're sitting there, a couple will be sitting there, they're not talking to each other, they're just on their phones the whole time. (laughs) Like, they're oblivious to the person that's with them. There's no interaction, there's no talking. They're just like this, and then finally one of them put their phone down, and the other one will. And there's that awkward silence, and one will pick it up, and the other one will go, great, I'll go back to my phone as well, right? They're just totally unaware of the person that's there. That's what we do to God. We are so distracted. God is sitting at the table with us. We have no idea he's there. And we're feeding ourselves with distraction after distraction after distraction from the world, And then we're like, God, where are you? Why are you not stepping into my situation? He's like, hello, I'm right here. And we're like, oh, (laughs) you're there. Yeah, I've been here the whole time. You've been so distracted by all this stuff. I wanna help you. I wanna be part of your life. But we need to put these rhythms in place that we have time to spend with him. So how do we abide? Well, Jesus, Jesus tells us to abide, but what does that mean? He says, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, I used to read this verse and it used to really scare me. Because it says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And I used to think, okay, I've got to do more and more and more and keep more and more of his his commandments for him to love me. Like for me to stay in his love, I've just got to keep working harder and harder and harder. But that's not how we read this verse, because Jesus starts with, as the Father loved me, I also love you. I already love you. Abide in that love. And that, what that does is it helps us be obedient to God. So what does abide mean? Well, it seems like this spiritual mumbo jumbo, right? Like something out there and vague, that's kind of unattainable and over-spiritual. And if if you attain it, you kind of walk around with this heavenly glow and anyone you walk past falls over under the power of God. But that's not what it is. To think about the the Greek word "meno" abide, literally means to make your home in. Now, Now just think about your home. It's a place of comfort, familiarity, safety and rest. Jesus wants us to make our home in his love, Make our home his dwelling place 24-7. Make his love a place where we go in and out from, the place where we retreat to, the place where we find silence and solitude, the place where we find rest. Jesus wants his love to be the place where we laugh and we cry, we eat and we drink and we have our being. Jesus wants us to find everything we do in the place of his love. So if we abide weekly, daily, monthly, yearly, We will produce fruit if we abide in who he is and we will obey his commands. We'll actually desire to do it. You see, because God wants obedience. I mean, it's all through the Bible. He calls us to be obedient, but he wants it out of a place of love, not compulsion. You see, when we're obedient from a place of love, it's actually a delight, it's not a burden. It's not like I have to do it. Have you ever got a gift from someone you don't really like? And you're kind of like, ah, dang it, now I have gotta get them a gift. And they're like, oh, I don't know when their birthday is. Now I'm going to have to find out their birthday. And now I've got to go shopping. And you go shopping and you're like, oh, I'll just get whatever. What's the closest thing? That's enough. You grab it. You know, it's a bit of a hassle. I hope they don't get me something next year because I don't want to do this again. But that's totally different when you get a gift for someone you genuinely love, right? Like you don't care how much time it takes you. You don't care how far you've got to go. You don't care how much it costs. You don't care if they ever get you one in return. Why? Because you love them, Right? You're willing to do that out of a place of love. And when we abide in God's love, obedience is not a compulsion. It's a fruit. It's a delight. Being commanded to love someone that that you have no natural affection for, it actually becomes wearisome. You've got to really work on it, right? But true love grows to response to loveliness. So if you struggle to obey God, then scripture would suggest that we actually need to love God more. We just need to know God's love more we need to abide in Jesus, abide in his love. 1 John 2, 4-6 to says it another way. He says, He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought also himself also walk as just as he walked. I love this, how John actually explains that. He says... You know what, if we're walking, if we're not walking in love and we say we know him, then the truth's not in us. But those that do walk in obedience to God, the love of God has been perfected in them. Why? Because they abide in Jesus' love. They know that Jesus loves them regardless of the fruit they produce, which therefore reproduces fruit and obedience. And I love it at the end, he says... He who says he abides in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. He's talking about Jesus. So if we say that we're in him, if the love of God is perfected in us, then we should walk like Jesus. We should have the same rhythms that Jesus had as spending time with the Father, as silence and solitude and all these other things. When we abide in God's love, know God's love, then we make a home in God's love through daily, weekly, monthly, yearly rhythms. We'll produce fruit, but... We can't produce fruit of love if we don't know and experience God's love. So how do we know this love? How do we know God's love? Well, we see it in the gospel. 1 John 4 to 9 says, "...in this the love of God was manifest towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." If you wanna know love, if you wanna see love, look at the cross. That is love on display. That God, we have, each and every one of us have turned away from God. We are enemies of God, we are sinners and we have sinned against God and others and we've done our own thing. But God goes, I'm not gonna leave you there. I love you so much that I'm willing to send my own son. And Jesus was willing to come into this world, be fully man, fully God, but to experience what it's like to walk in this world full of sin. He knew what it was like to feel pain and suffering. He knew what it was like to feel rejected, to be hated, to be murdered, to be spat on, to be ridiculed, to be scourged, to be beaten to a pulp, to be nailed to a tree. Yet in all that, he never rejects us. He's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. You wanna know true love? That's what true love looks like. And that's what we find in the gospel, that whoever repents, turns away from sin and puts their faith and trust in Jesus, we receive eternal life. There's nothing we need to do. God's done everything through Jesus Christ so we could have eternal life through him. That's love. That's the love we see in Christ Jesus. So how do we love more? Not by trying harder, but by knowing his love more, spending more time with him, and the more we realize and experience this love, that's what actually transforms us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the love of God on display. And John says in, in John 4, 19, he says, "The love of, we love God because he first loved us. You see, the problem is we get this the wrong way around. We think if we love God, then he'll love us. No, no. God's love for you is not based on the fruit that you produce or what you can do for him he loves you unconditionally. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance, leads us to obedience, leads us to a life full of fruit of this Holy Spirit. So God loves us unconditionally. And we see this in the gospel. And the more we grow into that understanding, we experience that love, we in turn love Him more, which in turn transforms us into likeness and the lifestyle of Jesus. And church, love always bears fruit. Every time. Whenever we love someone, whenever we care for someone, whenever we give someone a cup of water in the name of Jesus Christ, that bears fruit. Jesus promises it. And the source of perfect, transformative, eternal love is only found in Jesus in the gospel. J.D. Creer on this verse, he says, true spiritual fruit comes from getting swept up in intimate, loving encounters with Jesus. His love is the soil in which all the fruits of the Spirit grow. When our branch abides in God's love, then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things start springing up on us, coming out of our heart. So what are the rhythms do you have in your life, do you have in place to abide in the love of God? You know what the beautiful thing is? We will never plumb the depths of God's love. It's far deeper and wider than you can ever imagine. That's the beauty of the Christian life. We can continue to explore God's love and grace for our whole life and never get to the bottom of it. It's beautiful. And so we continue to grow on this love day by day that we would be transformed. What for? For his glory. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your truth, and your love that we see in the cross, Lord. Lord, I come before you and and ask for forgiveness. I repent of turning away from you, of being connected to the things of this world. And Lord, I ask on behalf of the congregation, Lord, that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit, set aside time that we would abide in your love, that we would know your love deeper and deeper every day. And if you're sitting there and you've never experienced the love of God but today the gospel has spoken to you that God loves you, he wants to redeem you, he wants to restore you, he wants to give you eternal life and he wants to plug you into the only source of truth, grace and love then you can simply just pray this prayer with me. Pray it in your hearts between you and God. So Heavenly Father forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again on the third day in victory over my sin and Satan. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me and I ask for your Holy Spirit that I would see life and life to the full. Amen.